Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Crow's Nest. My name is Jackson Shank here for episode 54, where I will be discussing NFL storylines post week 16, along with some winners and losers for the week. Nathaniel Hackett's firing, the benching of Derek Carr, and my opinions surrounding Tua Tungavailoa and his unfortunate situation with concussions. And I don't know if you guys can tell, but Justin is not here for this episode. This is going to be the first time the Crow's Nest is a solo podcast, so bear with me as I will try to entertain our audience for, you know, the episodes for the for the recent future as Justin is on a cruise right now and his connection isn't the best and we're trying to work through that. I'm currently at my grandparents' house celebrating Christmas and, you know, close to New Year's. We, we're going back on New Year's Eve. So a lot, of, lot going on in our life. Didn't have a chance to record an episode last week. So we apologize for that. But yeah, man, we're just getting used to home life, seeing old friends and kind of scrambling through our busy holiday schedules. First of all, I just want to say happy holidays to everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed whatever you celebrate. My family enjoyed a Christmas morning full of fun, good food, and pretty nice gifts. And hopefully you're hearing one of those as I'm talking into a new mic and hopefully sounding a little bit smoother than I have in the past. This is the mic that Justin and I will begin to use once we get back onto campus as we are trying to move into a new studio. And this is step one, better audio for you guys. Okay. With all that being said, let's get into the storylines I have planned for today's episode post week 16 in the NFL. Baker Mayfield took the Broncos country for a ride this past week as they won that game 51 to 17. I mean, the Broncos once again having just a miserable season and we'll get more onto their coach their recent changes in the coaching staff later in this episode, but Baker Mayfield played really well. It helps to have Cam Akers in a situation where he can run for over 100 yards and two touchdowns. Sean McVay kind of goes in, gets the win with his floater quarterback that he has. They have a really odd situation in the upcoming offseason, what to do with Baker Mayfield as he becomes a free agent, and whether or not they'll select a quarterback of the future, as Matthew Stafford obviously dealing with injury problems and age as well. All right, the 49ers are 4-0 under Brock Purdy, and I think it's about time we start recognizing how great that this team is. And Kyle Shanahan really should be up there for coach of the year. I mean, we talk about the likes of Mike McDaniel, Brian Dable, and what he did early in the season, but to go through three different quarterbacks in a season and still be successful and still be a playoff team and win your division is remarkable. I mean, under Brock Purdy, a seventh-round pick this year, Mr. Irrelevant, the final pick in the draft, they are 4-0 and and averaging 31.5 points a game. That is remarkable. I mean, let that sink in. This is a guy who started at the quarterback position just four weeks ago, and they have the highest scoring offense since that transition. It's ridiculous. The 49ers are going to be dangerous in the NFC, and look out for them 
to be Super Bowl contenders this season. The Vikings jumped to 11-1 in a one-possession games as they had a walk-off field goal by Greg Joseph, a 61-yarder, and another you know, nail-biter that the Vikings seem to play every single week. Justin Jefferson broke Randy Moss's single-season receiving record with 1,756 yards now. And, you know, he is two 125-yard game, games away from 2,000 yards. We talked about Tyreek Hill breaking that 2,000-yard mark, but it looks like Justin Jefferson may be closer than we think, and he could be the first one to surpass that mark. I mean, it helps, obviously, having that extra week in the season of the recent changes in the NFL schedule, but man, Justin Jefferson is putting himself in the MVP conversation with a near 2,000-yard season. Another receiver that went in this week was CeeDee Lamb as the Cowboys squeaked by a hurtless Eagles team. He had 10 catches for 120 yards and two touchdowns. And Dallas, you know, their defense has been really shaky the past couple of weeks, letting up 40 points to Jacksonville and now 34 to the Philadelphia Eagles and Gardner Minshew. But I want to bring this point up because scoring 34 points without your starting quarterback is incredible. Now, I think it says a lot more about the Eagles and the roster that they have around them rather than the Cowboys defense. Yes, every team goes through a slump, but it's still hard to give up back-to-back games of over 34 points, right? You have to have really good opposition on the other side. And Gardner Minshew played his tail off. And for a backup quarterback, he's definitely up there. He started in the past. Don't get me wrong. But this Eagles team, I think it tells you a lot about the situation that Jalen Hurts is in. Because if he doesn't have this level of roster around him, where does this Eagles team sit? Like, they've had a lot of good things going for them. One of the best rosters in all of football. One of the best defenses. One of the best, if not the best, O-line. And they've also had a pretty weak schedule. So... As Jalen Hurts kind of evolves in this with this team and how they spread out contracts next year, I think we'll say a lot about him, along with the fact that they lost Lane Johnson for at least the rest of the regular season with an injury. So not having that right tackle and a guy who's just been absolutely locked down on the offensive line, I think we're going to learn a lot about Jalen Hurts in the upcoming weeks when he does play, of course. All right. Last but not least, the Chargers cement themselves in the AFC playoffs as they clinched a playoff berth after their dominant 23 or 20 to 3 win over the Indianapolis Colts. Justin Herbert didn't have the greatest game, but they got the job done, and that's really what matters. It's about making sure that you can get the job done later in this season, making sure the games aren't even close. The defense played well after an early ejection of Derwin James who had a hit in this game on a receiver that was clearly wrong and targeting so good on the officials to remove him from the game I mean he knocked himself and the other player out I'd, I'd say that's that's pretty clear evidence of an ejection two guys who just went head-to-head in that situation and Derwin at the at fault there Austin Eckler continuing to have a tremendous season as he tacks on two more touchdowns in that game But yeah, the Chargers doing what they should do late in the season, and that's squashing poor teams such as the Indianapolis Colts. 
All right, with that being said, I want to highlight two teams specifically this week as my winner and loser, my winner being the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jags went into MetLife and getting a, and got themselves a win that could propel them into the playoffs. I mean, they nearly have to win out in this in the rest of the season in order to make the playoffs. I know the Titans are down Tannehill, and that could really help them in the long run, but they still got to win these games. Trevor Lawrence played game manager in this game as they won their third in a row. I mean, he didn't have to do too much as the Jets really didn't put up life on the other side. They had to go to their third-string quarterback as Zach Wilson was benched yet again. But once again, making sure that they can execute. That's all these teams need, exactly like what the Chargers did in their win over the Colts. Just making sure, manage the game, stay ahead, do your job, and get it done. And that's what the Jags did. They're now tied with the Titans at 7-8 and eight and have the tiebreaker over them. So the remaining schedule is Houston and then at or at Houston and then home to Tennessee. This Houston game is really important. Teams have gone down there and struggled. The Kansas City Chiefs are an example of that in recent in recent memory. And Houston's playing with a lot of pride right now. They are fighting like hell in order to show that they have a roster that can compete in this league. And yes, their record does not reflect that at all, but they have some dogs on the defensive end. Jalen Petrie and Derek Stingley Jr. are a nightmare to face in the secondary. So that's going to be a game that's circled on their schedule. I mean, two defensive or two in-division games are really important to close out this season. And Lawrence could throw a real wrench in the AFC playoffs if he gets there. I mean, he's playing at an all-time high as... The Jags have doubled their win total from last season and have a shot, you know, now to in his second year to make it to the playoffs. So Doug Peterson, another one of those coaches who's really helping his quarterback grow as he stepped into that role after the firing of Urban Meyer last season. So, you know, shout out the guys in Duval. They are getting it done. All right, moving on to my loser this week, I have the Detroit Lions, who I was, you know, all about last week, super excited. They beat the Jets, who have a phenomenal defense, and then they come in and they lay an egg against the Carolina Panthers. After winning six of their last seven, you know, they, they were it was horrendous. They give up 320 yards on the ground and 570 total yards, and now they're tied with the Packers at 7-8, and eight, who have won three straight, and they're still in the hunt. They really had a chance to propel themselves forward being an 8-7 and seven team. It's very different because that, that one game can mean so much with these final two games left on their schedule. I mean, they are—I really think that Jared Goff can be the quarterback for this team, and I think they're a year away from contending. They just need to have a really good draft next season. They need to go out and get defensive pieces in the secondary and get a run stuffer up the middle. Aiden Hutchinson was a home run hit in their draft. They got their D end of the future. He's a great pass rusher. And I think he, you know, he, outside of Sauce Gardner, he's like, he's there for the conversation of defensive rookie of the year. I think Sauce is just playing at an astronomical level that you can't argue against him. But, you know, getting back to the Jared Goff comment, I really think he can be the the quarterback of the future for this team. A lot of people are saying, you know, in the, in the offseason, they need to go get like Lamar Jackson, or they need to be in the sweepstakes for like a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers who could be up for grabs, right? No, Jared Goff is on par with his 2018 stats, which got him to the Super Bowl. It's just whether or not 
he can actually get there with the defense. I mean, he can't always put up 50 points a game, and that's what it seems like the Lions give up nowadays as he's got a 65% completion. It's not great if he could bump it up to maybe the high 60s, low 70s. He would be in that elite category in the NFL, but he's not terrible, right? Nearly 4,000 yards passing and a 26 touchdown to seven interception ratio with a passer rating at 98.3, just under 100. When this guy can put up 40 points a game and he has the offensive weapons like Amon Ross St. Brown, like Jamison Williams, like DJ Chark, I mean, these are guys that can get the job done. They have one of the best offensive lines in all of football and two dynamic running backs in Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. If they can keep this core and have a good draft next year, I really do believe they could give the run the Vikings a run for their money in the NFC as or in in the NFC North as they've been kind of a, you know, Vikings have been a really lucky team. I'm not going to lie. I mean, yes, they win close games, they know how to do it, but we've seen the difference between them or between a one-possession team that was successful last season and an unsuccessful one-possession team this season. An example is the Las Vegas Raiders. Last year, they won seven of eight one-possession games and it propelled them into the playoffs, right? What happens this year? They flop. Obviously, it's two completely different stories, but I don't believe 11 one-possession wins is sustainable in this league. You have to win and win well, which is why I think if the Lions can get these defensive pieces that they need in the secondary and, you know, really hone in that defense behind a young and a hungry team with Dan Campbell at the helm, man, oh man, this team could be dangerous in the NFC. Okay, moving on, we have the firing of Nathaniel Hackett. Rough situation in Denver obviously, as he becomes the fifth head coach in NFL history to not finish their first season with a team, right? He comes in, a young, new, completely new owner, young GM, decides, you know what, we're going to throw all our eggs in one basket, give me Russell Wilson. He's been playing at a high caliber level over so many NFL seasons, and then this year it just seems like he forgot how to play football. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of injuries happened to Denver on the offensive side. You lost Javante Williams, who's arguably one of the best, who's arguably one of the best first and second down backs in all of football. Not the greatest pass catcher, but he's learning that part of his game, right? And then you had Tim Patrick, who got a decent contract extension for a wide receiver three in this league. Like this is a guy who when he is healthy, can put up a six to 800-yard season. And you don't realize how important that is to teams until they're gone. So you had two important injuries on the offensive side. Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton have been in and out of the, in and out of the lineup all season long as they've been dealing with injury issues. And Nathaniel Hackett, who everyone thought would be the answer for this team, has really just thrown it down the gutter. Yes, it looks like Russell Wilson has forgotten how to play football, but when you have a roster with a lot of talent, 98% of the time when they can't win, it's on the coach, okay? There's a reason why the Dallas Cowboys have been unsuccessful in the playoffs over the past five years. Their coaching has been horrific in the big games, right? Broncos, the Broncos coaching has been horrific all season. They have not had a you know a shining moment we saw a 
what looked like an old Russ moment against the Chiefs, but they were down 27 to nothing in the first half. Like it it took them until the second half to actually get the offense moving. So I'm going to give Russ the slightest bit of a break because he lost offensive pieces and a good coach or a poor coach can really make or break a quarterback. It's really hard to overcome bad coaching because you're being told to do the wrong things or things incorrectly, and because of that, you have issues. But, yeah, I it's, it's a rough situation for the Broncos. Now, what can they do to fix it? Okay, here we go. There's a coach out there that's, you know, it's pretty, it's a, pretty open it's pretty open to understanding that he could be coming back into the coaching market next year Sean Payton okay here's the only issue one you've had Russell Wilson who's who's played poorly okay and then number two you're playing in the AFC West a nightmare division that if they had good coaching would be much better okay Brandon Staley's finally get a chance finally is going to show what the Chargers can do in the playoffs. If it's a first-round exit, he he could be on the chopping block. You saw what Josh McDaniels did this year with Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, who is a Pro Bowl wide receiver last year, Darren Waller, who is an athletic freak, and Josh Jacobs. He turned them into garbage, okay? So if Sean Payton can make the move to Denver, if he can revive Russell Wilson and find what is left inside of him, he could look like an absolute genius, which if there's anyone who knows how to adapt their offense to a quarterback, it's Sean Payton. Look at how a 5'9 Drew Brees, who could barely run from the pocket throughout the latter half of his career, turned him into a constant playoff and NFC South division winner year in and year out. A spread offense. You had not the most athletic quarterback and not the greatest arm. You could tell his arm was dying, but they put off one, they put up one of the best offensive seasons in all of football. And if it wasn't for a pass interference that wasn't called and that was horrifically not called, they could have been a Super Bowl team. So if Sean Payton can go to Denver and make that transition, you know, I really think he can. I think he can be that guy for this team, but it's going to take a lot of convincing to go get Sean Payton and put him in a situation that is a dumpster fire and turn it into, you know, a shining star in this league. Let's talk about another quarterback, and we'll stay in division as well. You know, the benching of Derek Carr. That's That was recent on headlines yesterday, and it's it's come to light today that he'll no longer be practicing with the team. He'll, he'll take time away from the team and stuff like that. But this is another example of poor coaching ruining a team. Derek Carr, don't get me wrong, has not been great. 60% completion percentage, 3,500 yards, 24 touchdowns, 14 picks, and a passer rating of 86. He is quite literally the definition of mediocre Okay, this year. But this was a guy who was battling for MVP just a few seasons ago. And you add Devontae Adams, who made Aaron Rodgers a 13-3 and team year in and year out? How do you not get better? You added Chandler Jones on the defensive side, an upgrade at one of the most important positions in all of football, and you managed to get astronomically worse. 
Josh McDaniels has single-handedly come in and thrown just the biggest dud in the Raiders' system, right? So now, what do they do? They have to get rid of him, or they have to get rid of Derek Carr, because apparently they think he's the problem. Josh McDaniels has the ownership convinced that he's not the issue, that with all that talent around him, he can't turn things around. I don't like it from the Raiders. I think you can get away with paying Derek Carr a mediocre salary and building around him, and I think you could be a contender. I think you need a different coach, to be completely honest, but the Raiders are going to go a different route. They have the ninth overall pick right now in the draft, and with Jared Stidham out there as the as the new quarterback, the backup coming in for the final two games, I believe they look to tank their final two games, obviously. They're playing the 49ers and the Chiefs. They're looking to move up in the draft. As it currently stands in the NFL draft board, the Raiders are 9 at 6-9, and nine, along with the fact that uh, the Rams are or the Rams' record stands above them, Detroit has that pick, and the Falcons as well. So they're hoping that in the tanking of these final two games, one of one of the one of the three teams can move up in wins. The Carolina Panthers, who still have a shot at the playoffs, the the LA Rams, who are starting to play a lot better with Baker Mayfield, and the Atlanta Falcons, who sit at five and ten, and Desmond Ritter is trying to play his heart out so he earns that starting job next year. If they can do that, they move. If all three of those scenarios happen, they move within the top five. And, you know, Houston is going to look to select a quarterback. Seattle is probably going to re-sign Geno if if Denver were to stay at the three spot. Arizona just signed Kyler Murray to a huge extension. And Indianapolis is the only other quarterback, you know, needing team. Right, It's finally time for them to draft somebody new and build around him. So that would leave Vegas with the third overall choice at the quarterback position, giving them a shot to either, you know, go get their guy or, you know, settle for the third guy in the draft board who they think will fall. Caleb Williams is going to be up there along with Bryce Young, the quarterback from TCU, I think, who just declared for the draft will be up there as well, Max Duggan. So look for the Raiders to jump at the opportunity to go get their quarterback of the future and use that rookie contract to really be able to build around him with the weapons that they have signed now in Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, and Devontae Adams. All right. Our final to- or the final topic I have to discuss this week is Tua Tungavailoa. And I think this is going to be a really important and in-depth conversation I'll have with you guys because... This is one of the most unfortunate situations in football. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, I'm not a, I'm not too a hater or a tour promoter. What I am is I'm indifferent on the subject because I think it's really hard to evaluate this guy's career. You have a guy who has upgraded in just about ever or gotten better in just about every single category since he's been a rookie. Okay, in his three years in the NFL, his yards have jumped from 1,800 to 2,600 to 3,500. His average yards per attempt have gone from 6.3 to 6.8 to 8.9. His touchdowns have gone from 11 to 16 to 25. And his interceptions have gone from 5 to 10 to 8. Okay? And his quarterback rating has gotten better every year. 87 his rookie year, 90 his sophomore year, and then his third year in the NFL, 105.5. His QBR has jumped 11 or more points in each season. 
and now a 68.8, okay? Now, here's the thing. Injuries to the head completely change how a person plays. I mean, there was a stat line in the most recent game that they played where Tua had come out in the first half right before he got injured and thrown 8 for 10 for something like 150 yards and two touchdowns and had over and had two over 40-yard touchdowns, one to Tyreek Hill, one to Jalen Waddell. He gets injured, and he throws two to three picks, okay? How—it's so difficult to blame someone for something that is hindering them, right? Because three—like, if he has a third concussion this year, it's time for him to hang up the cleats. Like, he is putting his life in danger, Right? I was listening to Brandon Marshall the other day on on TV and he was saying, you know, he's got he's married, he's got kids at home. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than the game. It's time for you to step away if you are severely injured because you look at a guy this year who's played I believe really well in most of the games and in some of the games, yes, he's played poorly. Every quarterback has his ups and his downs, and Tua has definitely had that this season. But you look at a guy who started off the season with three straight games over a, a quarterback rating of 100, right? On the season, he's 105.5 from the quarterback position. And yes, they added Tyreek Hill. Of course he's going to get better, right? But he's it's just so it's so difficult to judge him because, one, he's had good games in in rough competition, and he's had bad games in rough competitions, right? Most recently, he played really well against the Bills in the snow. 104 passer rating, 234 yards, two touchdowns. That was a one-possession game against Josh Allen in Buffalo, right? After two duds against the 49ers and the Chargers. And here's the thing. In the 49ers game, you're going back in a first in a head coach's first year, Mike McDaniel, and you're facing your old head coach, Kyle Shanahan, who I talked about earlier in this episode, is one of the most dynamic coaches in all of football. Can adapt and do just about anything with what he's given. Yes, he was beating he was beaten by a seventh rounder who had played all of two three weeks, right? But look at that seventh rounder now. He's four and zero. He's averaging thirty two points a game. They have one of the best defenses in all of football. Pump the brakes on the hate on Tua, but don't propel him into oh yes he's you know he's a He's a top five quarterback in this league. Tua, I think, sits around the the eight to twelve range when it comes to quarterbacks, and I really don't think we have enough evidence in where he's been in a good enough situation to become elite, right, and propel his team forward in order to judge him on whether or not he can be, you know, the best quarterback or a dynasty quarterback for the future for this team, or you know, hey, it's time to cut the reins. Now, my opinion on that situation is that for safety concerns, I think you have to move off of him. You cannot rely on a guy who week in and week out, if he takes a hit, can turn into the 32nd ranked quarterback in this league. To a post-concussion, I think any quarterback post-concussion can turn into the worst quarterback in this league. I mean, guys who are seeing ghosts and stuff like that throughout the game who are, their vision's foggy, they can't think right, they're not understanding what's being said to them in their headsets. 
like you have to you have to cut them slack and I think you have to make a decision as a management staff to move off of him. I mean he had a really you know, Mike McDaniel had a really great and touching connection with Tua, you know, showing him that he can be elite and play really well. But the quarterback market is so big this offseason and you have an opportunity to go sign someone that could be, you know, that could be insanely dynamic for you. Lamar Jackson is a free agent. You got to spend a lot of money to get him. But imagine an offense with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, and Lamar Jackson. You have someone who can throw the ball 60 yards to two of the fastest receivers in the league and also run for 60 yards on any given play. I mean, you have some game managers in here. Jimmy Garoppolo, who is familiar with the 49ers system, don't know if he'd have the arm for the job in Miami, but, you know, it's someone to look into. Geno Smith is a free agent in this offseason, and the Packers could be looking to part ways with Aaron Rodgers. You could even look at Jordan Love, who a lot of teams have been evaluating and saying that he could be a starter. Tom Brady, who you guys, you know, there was a whole coercion scheme about getting Tom Brady on the team and stuff like that. I mean, they could obviously go back to him. I'm sure Tom Brady, who's known for taking pay cuts, could surround himself with a good old line. They have a stud left tackle to protect his blind side, could find a way to gain the arm strength to throw to a dynamic Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle combo, right? So my opinions to, to review on Tua and why I think you should be indifferent on him. Okay, one, it's a tough situation when any player has severe head injuries, they are probably not going to play to the caliber that we know they can play at. Two, he finally got an elite offense this season, and he showed what he could do with it, but he also showed how he can flop with it. So he's, you know, you have to be indifferent there. So take how you grade Tua with a grain of salt, because it's, like I said, it's one of the most unfortunate situations that a quarterback can have and a team can have in this league. I think Miami has to make the tough decision and move off of him in the offseason in order for his safety and the future of their franchise to benefit the most. With that being said, that's all I have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the end of the episode if you have made it this far. Make sure to drop your comments in the polls below of this podcast and you know continue to listen subscribe make sure you rate us as well on spotify or apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to follow us on instagram at underscore crow's nest underscore once again i've been jackson shank thank you so much for listening and we'll see you all next time peace